Only in the West, and only in recent times, has the extended family become irrelevant. If you are an aunt or an uncle or a cousin, you have a blood connection that makes you responsible for your other family members. Paul offers a very stern and shocking reminder to all Christians. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Wow, we better think twice about our duty as an aunt or uncle or cousin. With more on the role of the extended family, here now is Pastor Allen. Good morning, everyone. And uh, in case you don't know, we are continuing in our series on the family. And today we're talking about the relatives. And we talked last week about grandparents and uh, the, the next or the older generation caring for the next generation. Today we're talking about our extended families, our aunts, our uncles, our cousins, all those people that we would call our relatives. So, some of my favorite memories from my own childhood were the times when our relatives would come to town. My grandparents had seven kids, and uh, most of them left town. My dad was the only one that stayed in Winnipeg. The rest left Winnipeg and traveled to different parts of the country. But uh, throughout the course of the year, uh, different family members would come and visit grandpa and grandma. Sometimes it would be their own siblings. So uh, my family was one of the few in the whole family that knew all of the aunts and uncles and knew all of the cousins and also knew all of the great uncles and all the great aunts. And I sat down and I figured out that I have, um, I have at least, and I know by name, at least 24 of my great aunts and uncles, not just my aunts and uncles, but my grandparents On my mother's side and on my father's side, I know their brothers and sisters, and I know many of those cousins. Now, one of the things that was really ingrained into our hearts, into our minds as we were growing up, is the importance of the family, how very important every family member is. And I'm going to show you in just a few moments how this is, in fact, a very biblical approach or view or understanding of the family. One of my very earliest recollections that I have of my relatives is when my Uncle Jack and my Aunt Anne were preparing to go to Africa. My Uncle Jack went through Bible school. They pastored in various churches in Manitoba. And I didn't really know them until, or wasn't aware of them until the day that they were preparing to go to Africa as missionaries. And so there we were at the old airport which has now been torn down, so that gives you an idea how old I am. And uh, the old airport, beautiful, brand new. I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, It was really uh, an architectural um, wonder at that time. The decorations and so on and so forth were really quite amazing. The reason it sticks in my mind so, so much is because of what happened at the airport. We, uh, we were there to, to see Uncle Jack and, and, and off to Africa. And I watched my dad, as he was saying goodbye to his brother, I watched him become emotional, something I'd never seen before. And all of us, we gave our hugs and we kissed and waved goodbye, and there were promises of prayer for them. This had a massive impact on me as a child, and I, I think I was about six years of age. 
I never did really know my uncle that well. I didn't really know any of the family that well. But the whole experience of seeing him and his family go to Africa, of saying farewell with tears, it hit me really hard. Especially when I heard phrases like this, they're going to serve the Lord overseas. It sounded so romantic and so, uh, so exotic. We're working for the overseas missions department. Or they're going to make a sacrifice. And they're going to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ so that they too can know the Lord. And when I look back now, I recognize that this was really the catalyst for my own conversion, which happened a few years later. It was at that time that God began to stir in my young heart the thought or the idea that these people are going to make a sacrifice, leaving grandpa and grandma behind. I could not imagine at age six how anybody could leave behind their mom and their dad or their grandpa and grandma. I just could not get that. I could not, I could not process that. And I understood at age six what a massive sacrifice it was that these people, my aunt and uncle and their kids, were leaving Canada to go live abroad, to go live overseas in a place that I'd actually never really heard of before. God used that to stir my heart. Now here's what I want all of us to understand this morning. Is that God wants to use you to make an impact on your extended family. I understand now that God used my aunt and my uncle and the sacrifice that they were making to make an impact on my life. I understand that God used them to make me to start thinking, to, to cause me to start thinking about my faith, about God, about Jesus Christ, about what does it mean to be saved. And some of you have heard my story, actually some of you have heard it many times. I did come to that place of full conversion when I was just a wee bit older. But it was my extended family, it, were, it was my Christian relatives that stirred up my heart and caused me to come to know Christ. So the question that we want to look at this morning is, first of all, what is God's plan for the relatives? Now you'll notice in the video clip, which is one of my favorite clips of all time, Gus is introducing his family. Did you notice that? And for some of you, you think, well, why, why is everybody called Nick? Did, anybody wondering about that? There's Nick and Nick and Nick and Nicky and Nick and Nick and there's Nick. Well, the reason for that is that in Greece, part of the family tradition is that everybody names their firstborn after, after the father, after the, actually after the grandfather of the child. So if the father's name, so for, for instance, in my, my kids, Jesse would be called Lyle because that was my dad's first name. And then after that, you, you, the, if there's a daughter, you name her after the mother. So Sarah would be called Diane. And then after, after we get on to the next round of kids and it goes over to Gloria's side, we, the, 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 the next son would be John and the next daughter would be Ruth. And that's why in this family, everybody's called Nick. Now, we look at that and we laugh, we kind of giggle and chuckle at it all. But here's what you and I need to understand. The family is God's plan for you and for me, first of all, for support. 
Your, the family that God has given you, God has given you that family for the purpose of encouraging you, to support you, to help you, because God understands that none of us is self-sufficient. One of the things that we've lost in the West is this understanding or this appreciation for the family and the extended family. We become extremely individualistic. We keep everybody at arm's length. We believe or we think that somehow we don't need our families And for some of us, we have absolutely nothing to do with our aunts, our uncles, our cousins. But I'm going to tell you, this is not the way God intended it. And there's many parts in in other parts of the world where they still get that. They still understand the value of the family. If you go to a place like India, for instance, you'll actually find uh, brothers living together with their wives and their families under one roof. It's, It's not unheard of. For us here in, in North America, we're, we're horrified at the thought of having to live with our brother and his wife. At least I am. I've got to be careful because my brother's here. So I, Actually, I'd love to live with my brother and his wife. We, we've become so individualistic, we've, we've tried to keep our family at arm's length, and our family annoys us sometimes, and so we think it's better just not to have them in our lives. But I'm going to tell you, this is not what God's intention was for the family. Because God knows that you need your family as much as your family needs you. But we sometimes have this notion or this idea that, that you know, I, I've been taxed, I've been pulled in different directions, and, and I've, it's all I, can, I can't take my family anymore, so I'm just going to cut myself off. Or vice versa. We think, and that's why we have the, the marionette hand on the poster and the banner there, we think the family's very controlling, and I can't, do, can't make a move without the family. Now, I'm going to tell you, yes, the family can be a real pain in the backside at times. It can be very difficult to cope with. But here's what you need to understand. God's intention for your family is that you be loved, comforted, helped, supported in your time of need. The family is a natural support system, and God is the one that created that. The family is a natural accountability system. It's the original small group. One of the things that we did with our kids when we were raising them, our kids would say, well, can I do this, and can I do that, and whatever. And, you know, some of this stuff would be against our values. And so what we would simply say is the Duncalfs and the Housens don't do that. We don't, that's not how we function. That's not how we roll. We don't do that. And somehow, way, that was good enough for our kids. It's, it's not what we do. As a family, that's not who we are. The family is also a natural team for advancing the cause or a cause. And I'm thinking of Abraham to begin with. Abraham, the very first man called by God. But you'll notice that he didn't just call Abraham, and a lot of people don't recognize that. The calling on Abraham was for Abraham and his family, his nuclear family. And it even extended beyond that. He even brought along his nephew Lot. A lot of people don't see that. When I think of a family as a natural team for advancing a cause, I think of Billy Graham and his family. Some of you know who Billy Graham is. He's a great evangelist that traveled around the world and preached to literally millions of people. But what a lot of people don't realize now is that his children and his children's children and his children's children's children now are engaged in the same work that Billy was involved in, and that is in going around telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what you need to understand. 
and we see this throughout Scripture, God's concern is not just for individuals. God's concern is for the family. And so we see God interacting, first of all, with, with uh, Cain. And Cain's, Cain is asked by God, where is your brother? And what does he say? He says, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer to that is absolutely yes, you are your brother's keeper. God's plan for the family is that we take care of one another. And it starts in the nuclear family, mom and dad and children, and it extends to the extended family. And so by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, we find God speaking to Noah and saying to Noah, Noah, because you're the only righteous man, because you're the only one on the, on the earth that is doing my will and living a life that is pleasing to me, I want you to build an ark. Now you'll notice that when Noah built this ark, he didn't build it just for himself. And he didn't build the ark just for himself and the animals. He built it for himself, the animals, and his wife. And not just his wife, but also for his sons. And not just for his sons, but also for his daughters-in-law. And so we recognize right from the very beginning of time that God's covenants are not just with individuals, but they're very much, it's very much a covenant with a family. When God called Abraham out of Haran, he called Abraham and his family. You can read about it yourself in Genesis chapter 17 or 16. And by the time we get to the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant of circumcision, you'll notice that God doesn't just tell Abraham that he needs to be circumcised. He tells Abraham that it's got to be you and all the males in your household. Whether they're born into the family or not, they're part of your household, they all need to be circumcised. So in other words, God's covenant with Abraham was familial and not just individual. So let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now. Because you may be under the impression that you don't have to worry about anybody but yourself or worry about anybody else but your wife and, and your kids. It's just our, us four and no more. This is absolutely not a biblical view of the family at all. When Paul goes and preaches the gospel, we find Paul in, the, in, a, in a city called Philippi. Now, when Gloria and I lived in Greece, we visited it many, many times. And while we were there, we went to the place uh, where Lydia uh, was supposed to have been baptized. And you'll notice when you read the story about Lydia, she becomes a convert, but not just Lydia, her whole household. You see, there it is again, the whole family. Everybody connected to her become, puts their faith in Jesus Christ. And also you find that Paul and Silas are in prison because they've been preaching the gospel. And as they're in prison, they decide they're going to worship the Lord. So there they are in prison singing songs of praise to God. And, and I mean, it's really, really going places, this worship service they're having in prison. And the Bible says that God shook that prison and all the, all the gates in the prison, <laughs> every gate opened up so that literally every one of those prisoners could have escaped. Now here's what you and I don't know is that for the jailer, if any of his people escape, then Roman law says he's got to be put to death. So he's ready to take the sword and, and just end his life. And Paul says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. He says, we're all here. Don't panic. We're all here. And Paul uses that opportunity to share 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that Jesus Christ loves you, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that Jesus Christ can take away your sin and wash your heart clean as though you'd never sinned before. The jailer is absolutely amazed by the events. First of all, that he doesn't have to kill himself, but then secondly, he discovers that there's a God in heaven who loves him and cares about him. And that God put right in, his own, right in his jail a preacher of the gospel. And the Bible says that this man became a Christian. But not just this man. This man in his whole family. Now you're getting, the, you're getting the picture here of what God wants for you and for your family. This notion or this idea that we can disconnect from our family is absolutely unbiblical. It's not biblical in any way, shape, or form. It's not acceptable to God. In fact, when we find Peter preaching the gospel in the very beginning of the book of Acts, what does Peter say? He said, you and your household, you and your family will be saved. Now, this morning I want to ask a question. How many people in your family know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Are you the one that God wants to use as a catalyst to bring people to faith in Christ? God used my uncle and his family, and my uncle was not even aware of it. In fact, I don't think I ever had a chance to tell him that. He's dead now, and he's in heaven, and someday I'll be able to tell him that. But his faith in God and his action and his willingness to serve God had a big impact on me as a child. Jacob, before he was renamed Israel, Jacob had a brother by the name of Esau. They were twins, born just moments apart. And because Esau was the firstborn, he was the one that was going to receive the family birthright. In other words, it was going to be through Esau that God would pour out his blessing. That was supposed to be the way it went. But one day, Esau was out hunting, real, a out, real outdoorsman. Loved the outdoors, loved to hunt, loved to fish, loved, loved to just to be out there and enjoy the wilderness. Jacob, on the other hand, was a bit of a homeboy. He liked to be, uh, he liked to hang around with mom in the kitchen. And uh, two extremely different boys. Esau, very much his father's son, very much uh, the pride of his father. Jacob, not so much. One day, Esau comes home from hunting, and he is famished. He's starving. And he smells his food that his brother Jacob is cooking, and it smells delicious. And uh, Esau says to Jacob, how about giving me some of that food? And Jacob says, I don't think so. He says, come on, just let me have a little bit. Smells delicious, man. And Jacob says, how about selling it to me? (laughs) Esau says, for for what? Jacob says, how about selling me your birthright? Esau says, sir, I mean, if I'm going to die from starvation, you may as well have my birthright. So that was the deal. Esau sold his birthright. Now remember, with the birthright comes the wealth of the family. 
Everything goes to that son. God's blessing, God's provision, the father's wealth, everything was supposed to settle on Esau's shoulders. But Esau hasn't got it in hand, and he quite frankly doesn't care about it. I'd rather fill my belly right now than be bothered with all that crazy stuff. The father's getting older now, and he knows that he's not got much time left, and he decides that it's time now to bestow the blessing upon his son. Jacob's mother gets wind of this and says to Jacob, quick, you got to do something. Your, your dad is about to put the blessing, put the birthright upon Esau. Isaac calls Esau and he says, Esau, go and, 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 uh, and do your thing. Bring home my favorite game. Prepare it for it. Cook, cook it up for me. And when you come to me and I eat, then I'm going to put my blessing upon you. While he's away... Jacob thinks quick. He thinks, well, my, my brother's hairy, I'm not. So he puts on some of his brother's clothing. It smells of the outdoors, the wildness. He comes near his father, and Isaac's suspecting that something's not right. Is that, is that, is that really Esau? And Jacob, yes, it is. Trying to disguise his voice, trying to make his dad believe that it really is him. And finally, after enough lies and enough trickery and deception, Jacob tricks his dad into believing it, that it really is Esau. He prepares a fantastic meal, because that's what he's good at. Comes near to his father, and his father puts his hands upon him and blesses him. And puts upon Jacob the birthright. And now Jacob is the owner of everything. When Esau gets back from the field, he comes to his father. He says, Dad, I prepared the food. I'm ready for my birthright, for my blessing. And Isaac says, well, who is this? It's your son Esau. Well, I've already blessed you. Or who did I bless? And Esau, figuring it out, recognizes that it's his brother Jacob who has deceived him. Or at least he thinks it's deception. But remember, Jacob bought it off of Esau, fair and square for a bowl of his stew. Jacob, fearing for his life, decides he's going to take off. Now, where is Jacob going to go to? In our day and age, we think, well, you're going to leave town, you're going to go somewhere else, no, no sweat, no problem. I mean, you just go to another town, and if you haven't got any money, well, you just stay at the Salvation Army, or go to the church, somebody will take care of you. Folks, there was nothing like that in Jacob's day. Where is he going to go? Who's going to take care of him? And before he leaves, he's terrified, he's scared, he's got to leave home to protect himself. I mean, his brother, remember, his brother's a hunter. And his mother says, why don't you go to your uncle's place? Why don't you go to your extended family? And here's what happens. He goes to his, his uncle's place. In Genesis 29, 13 to 14, as soon as Laban heard that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him and he embraced and kissed him and brought him home. And when Jacob had told him his story, but how he had wrangled the birthright out of his brother, Laban explained, you really are my own flesh and blood. I love that. He recognizes that Jacob is very much one of the family. And if you know the story, you'll read on, you'll find that Laban tries to deceive Jacob, not once, not twice, but repeatedly. 
And somehow God in his mercy and his kindness, in the midst of all the family craziness and dysfunction, God provides Jacob with not one but two wives, with many children, with many livestock. In fact, it's in the home of Laban that Jacob is blessed beyond anything he could ever hope for. And I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart right now. Because some of you are sitting here today thinking, Pastor Ellen, I'd love to be involved with my, with my family, but you don't know my family. Some of them are just downright crazy. They, they, they're not the people you can do business with. They're not the people you can hang out with. They're not the people that would be open to my love. and They're not the kind of people I want to hang out with. Nevertheless, nevertheless, in the midst of all the craziness and all the dysfunction, if you are a believer today, if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's your Savior, he's your Lord, and you're following him, God has called you to be a light to your nieces and your nephews, your great-nieces, your great-nephews, your uncles, your aunts, your brothers, your sisters. Because quite frankly... You may be the only person that your family has. In Jacob's situation, in Jacob's case, he didn't have the perfect family, but they were there when he, need, when he needed them. And it was in the home of his extended family that he experienced the blessing of God. Now, I don't believe that any of this is an accident, that it's in the Bible. I think God wants to hear this, wants us to know about this. He wants us to understand that some of the craziness that, that we go through is just life. But what he wants us to do is he wants us to be a light in the midst of our crazy family. Has anybody got any crazy family here today? Just Oh, you have to put your hands up too high. Just, just kind of nod at me a little bit or wink. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And you've been tempted just to just wipe, wipe your hands clean and just ditch them. And God says, no. Which of your nieces and nephews really need you in their life right now? I think of the times that my grandpa and grandma picked us up and brought us to church. Do you have some nieces and nephews that could be picked up and brought to church? Do you have somebody in your life right now that needs you to reach out to them and love them? A brother, a sister, an in-law? You may be the one, you may be the only one who's got the insight and the ability to see the needs in your family. In fact, nobody understands the needs of, their fa needs, understands the needs of a family more than a person who's part of the family. You understand Matt, I saw you put your hand up. You understand your family better than anybody. And God can use you to be a blessing to your family like nobody else could bless them. Who in your family needs a phone call, needs some loving assistance? It's interesting, isn't it? Because the family is not the people we automatically think of when we think of people in need. 
We think of the kids in Africa. We think of our neighbors. We think of the people we work with. We think of the people that we you know, play sports with. But we don't often think of our own family. And my Bible indicates to me that the family should be the first people we think of. You say, but Pastor Allen, you don't know how difficult my family is. Yeah, but you don't know what the Holy Spirit can do through you in caring for your family, your nieces, your nephews, your brothers, your sisters, your sister-in-law, your father-in-law, your aunt, your uncle, your great-uncle, your great-aunt. You don't know what God wants to do through you. But I do know this. I know that God wants to use you. I know that God wants to make you a blessing. I know that God wants to use you to lead your entire family to Christ. That's what God did with Lydia. That's what God did with the jailer. I don't even know his name. That's what God did with Cornelius. Remember, Peter went to Cornelius. Cornelius and his whole family came to Christ. So what do you need to do? Well, I want you to stop and think for a moment about the power of the family. And a lot, again, a lot of people, especially here in the West, we've forgotten this. We forget about the power of the family. Do you know that some of the wealthiest people in this world became wealthy because, listen, watch this, because they functioned in the context of their families. Not as individuals, but as people part of a family. You think of people, has anybody ever heard of the Rothschilds? Of course you have. The Roosevelts, the DuPonts, the Forbes, the Cargills, all extremely wealthy people, wealthy families who've stuck together and said, we are going to to succeed because we're going to stick together. Has anybody ever heard of the Walton family? And I'm not talking about John, John Boy. The Walton family, often considered the richest family in the world. The family mainly inherited the fortune from the patriarch, the head of the family by the name of Sam Walton, who is the founder of the world's biggest retail store. Anybody know it? Walmart. It was founded in 1962, the year I was born. And it has now over 11,000 stores in 27 different countries. And the family owns 50% of the value of that company. Valued, their, their 50% is valued at over $152 billion. It's staggering. What's their success story? What's the success of their the secret of success, they function as a family. You know, in that, in that movie, The Godfather in the Trilogy, there's a, a place in the story where Fredo, the eldest brother, is questioning the wisdom of Michael, who's a younger brother, but who's the head of the family now, appointed by his father. And Michael warns him and says, Fredo, you're my brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. In fact, we find that theme throughout the Godfather story. 
the importance of the family. In fact, this is, as you read the story, you begin to recognize that this is why the Godfather got into the business he got into. Because his own family was decimated. Because he wanted, in his own power, his own wisdom, his own strength to do everything in his power to protect his children and his wife and to keep them safe. He just went about it the wrong way. And it's for that reason that Don Corleone says to Johnny Fontaine, a young man that he'd helped, he said, how is your family? Johnny says, it's good. Are you taking good care of your family? He goes, oh yeah, I'm taking good care of my family. Don says, that's good because a man who doesn't take care of his family is not a real man. This theme goes throughout the story. And I believe that it's for that reason that so many people are attracted to this story that understands the importance and the power of a family to succeed and to keep people safe. Well, you know the story. God has given us an extended family of aunts and uncles and cousins to help us in our hour of need. And when it comes to your relatives, folks, here's, here's what's going to happen. One of two things is going to happen. You're either going to be in a position where you are going to need help and encouragement from your extended family. And I'm going to tell you, I need that. I need that all the time. I thank God for my family who is so often there for me in my hour of need. And I'm going to tell you, being a pastor, you have no idea how difficult it is. But conversely, You may be in a position where you'll be able to help and encourage your cousins, your nieces, your nephews, your aunts and uncles. This is what a family does. You're either receiving or you're giving, but that is the power of the family. You're giving and receiving, give and take, give and take, sharing, helping, receiving help in your hour of need. I'm going to say this to you today. If you're an aunt or an uncle or a cousin and you have a blood connection, that you, you, you have to understand you have a blood connection that makes you responsible for your family. You say, Pastor Allen, I never heard that before. Where does, that, where does it say that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked that. Look what it says. Paul says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.8. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially for those in their own household, They've denied the true faith, and such people are worse than unbelievers. Can I read that to you again? But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. I want to say this to you today, because it needs to be repeated again and again. At Cross Church, one of the things that you'll quickly notice is that we are a church that teaches not just theology and doctrine. We talk about application. How do I live out this faith? The trap that so many Christians fall into is the trap of the Pharisee, where you're constantly learning and cramming information into your head, and you know the books of the Bible off by heart, and great. And you've got scripture verses memorized, great. And you've taken theology courses, great. But are you living it out? 
And that was the problem with the Pharisees. And Jesus called them out. In fact, Jesus called them what? A brood of vipers, of snakes. Does anybody remember the most prominent snake in the Bible? Right in Genesis chapter 3, the snake that tempted Adam and Eve, full of information, full of knowledge, full of, of, some would say, even a measure of wisdom and understanding. And yet, it's full of evil. I'm going to tell you today, folks, if you are not caring for the people that God has given you, I mean, let's face it, your family, you can't divorce your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncles, your cousins. You can't do anything about it. They're the ones you're stuck with. Matt, you can't, you got no choice. They're yours. And so you may as well start to really, really love them and begin to try to bless them by the grace and the strength of God. Because I'm going to tell you this today. God loves them. Even if you don't love them. Pastor John, what am I supposed to do for my family? Well, you can begin by praying for them. Boy, I can't tell you how grateful to God I am for my grandpa and grandma who I know, my know, prayed for me every single day. And thankfully, there have been others that God has brought into my life that I know now pray for me every single day. I told you about my grandmother. When I was getting ready to go to Bible school, she'd pull out her purse and hand me a $20 bill. And because of her dementia, every 20 minutes or 30 minutes, she'd pull out another 20. You need this for the ministry. Um, financial support. Moral support. You can be a blessing to your, your niece, your nephew, your cousins, your aunt, your uncle. You can be there for them in their hour of need. Take them for coffee. Just let them know you love them. Offer encouragement and counsel. You could be the catalyst for their salvation. That's what my aunt and uncle did for me. And that was quite by accident, actually. Although I don't believe in accidents. There I am at the airport watching my aunt and uncle make a sacrifice to God to go to the mission field to tell people about Jesus. And that's what God used to stir my heart up. I wish, I wish that my uncle had taken the time to notice a six-year-old boy. I wish he would have stooped down, looked me in the eyes and say, Alan... Do you know Jesus? Do you know that Jesus loves you? He was quite intent on in going over to Africa to tell the children there all about Jesus, but somehow, some way, he didn't think to talk to his young nephews and niece. I told you how my grandma would say to me, Alan, how is, how is your walk with God? And if I, if I didn't say, it's fantastic, she'd say, why not? What's wrong? What's happened? Are you sliding, backsliding? Are you, have you turned your back on God? Are you, have you forgotten the Lord? Why aren't, you, why aren't you excited? Remember when you came home from, from camp, you were so excited about serving God? What happened? And I'd say, I don't know. So, well, let's get on our knees right now. We'll figure it out. And by the time I left grandpa and grandma's place, was back on track again spiritually. Because that's 
what family does. Because family cares for one another. At least that's God's plan. I remember my uncle and aunt stayed at our house. Mom and dad, I think, were given a, given a weekend away. I can't remember exactly the details. But for whatever reason, my aunt and uncle were staying with us at our house on 31 Coburg. And I remember, I remember that we were supposed to stay quiet because Uncle Jack was in the den and he was preparing the sermon to preach at Calvary Temple that Sunday. I got to tell you, I knew nothing about sermon preparation because my dad was a plumber. I knew nothing about that. Didn't know anything about the importance of that kind of study. No idea really too much about Calvary Temple. Didn't really care. But I did know this. I wished that my uncle would have talked to me. I was too scared to talk to him because he's an important missionary, important preacher. But I wish he would have talked to me and said, Alan, how was your walk with God? Because by this time, I'd given my heart to Jesus. He never did ask. And when I became a young pastor and he was still a missionary, I wished that I could have talked to him and asked him about the ministry because... There's struggles and challenges. But once again, he was silent. You know, you don't know it today, but you've got nieces and nephews and brothers and sisters, and you've got family members that are waiting for you to speak up and to ask some questions. Not to be rude, not to be crude, not to be shoving religion down their throat, but just to show that you care. To have you say to them, hey, I'm praying for you, or I'd like to pray for you. I'm so thankful to God for some of my nieces and nephews that attend here, my great nieces and nephews. And I'm going to tell you that although I love my church, and I really do, I love everybody here, I feel a special responsibility for my family. And it shouldn't just be me, it should be every one of us here today. Do you have some nieces and nephews that need to come to church? Do you have your, your children? Have you phoned them up this morning and say, hey, can I meet you at church? And can I buy you lunch after church? It's your responsibility. In fact, you may be the only person in your family that can make the difference. I thank God for my extended family. My my in-laws are here today. I didn't know they were going to be here. I thank God for the blessing that they've been to me and to my kids. I sat down and counted out how many people are in the ministry related to our families. Between the Duncalfs and the Housens, I think I've counted 15 people who either were in ministry or are in ministry today. The extended family is a powerful thing. There's accountability built in. There's support and encouragement built in. It's through your family that God can do amazing things. If you're just willing to say, God, here am I. Use me to make a difference in my family.
God use me to be a blessing to my nieces and my nephews, to my cousins, to all the people that God has brought into my life. God wants to use you. It's you. You're the one. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you. Thank you for the family. Thank you for the power, the potential power that there is within the family to strengthen us, to encourage us. And God, we're in a position where we can be in a, bless, a blessing and an encouragement to our families. In fact, we may be the only ones that our family members have or know. And so we're saying, God, give us the grace, give us the strength to be courageous enough not to shove religion down anyone's throat, but just to love our family and to share with them the love of Christ. God, we know that because of our faith in you, we have the hope of eternal life. We have the hope of eternity. God, give us the courage, we pray, to share that with all the people in our lives, especially our extended family. And so, God, we commit ourselves to you now, thanking you for the grace for the prompting of the Holy Spirit to go and make a difference in the lives of our extended family. We pray that in Jesus' name. Everyone say it with me. Tell the people beside you, be nice to your extended family.